Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, yeah. how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT Radio app. Big time agents! Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, I think it's probably a positive that we had about a a 40-hour cooling-off period from how the Notre Dame-Ohio State game ended until the start of our show. I'll be honest, if it was the old, old, old days of WSBT radio when we had at times a three-hour post-game show, I mean, we're talking the Davey, Willingham, Weiss era. I probably would have been too angry at the start of that show. But hopefully I've matured a little bit in 40 hours just to kind of chill out. Because that was an extremely agonizing defeat for this team and you, the fans. Ohio State takes down Notre Dame 17-14. The touchdown with one second left with all the other circumstances surrounding that play. It is very difficult to take. Having 10 men on the field for two consecutive plays is absolutely unthinkable in a moment like that. But the good thing about having 40 hours to take a breath, you try to look at the whole picture. And what I saw was a defensive coaching staff over the first 57 minutes, their plan and the execution was pretty doggone good. They held that offense to 10 points. Last three minutes, things did not go as well, and Ohio State won the game. Credit to McCord, who made three huge throws on that final drive 
tip of the cap to that kid who was the number two quarterback in this game all last week, and he performed okay. He did just fine. And you take a look at the offensive line. Folks, they held up. They held up. 176 rushing yards. Hartman was not sacked. They held up really, really well. Morrison and Hart in man coverage, spectacular. Morrison was so good when matched up against Harrison Jr. I tried to watch that every time it happened. And, folks, that performance by Morrison, individually speaking, has to be one of the best you will see from a college football player against an elite talent. That was spectacular. And then you flip the coin and you think about all the plays Ohio State made from their slot receivers that hurt the Irish. The points left on the field in the first half by Notre Dame. The inability to put the ball in the proper person's hands on fourth down and short is frustrating. There's a lot of good out of this game. And then there's the stuff that you just want to take a hammer and just start pounding away at a, a block of wood. Because the best team that night didn't win the game, and that's why it's frustrating. Ohio State got the job done. Credit to them. They're undefeated. They've got a massive college football playoff victory in their back pocket. And Notre Dame sits thinking, how did we lose this game? How are we the one with a loss? That's tough to take. So over the next two hours, we'll diagnose this thing the best that I can. We'll play coach's audio. We've got special guests coming on. We always have Tyler Hork on from Blue and Gold Illustrated. You'll hear from him at 6.05. And I'm bringing on former Irish quarterback Evan Sharpley at the bottom of this hour because I want to bring in a player perspective on having 10 men on the field for two consecutive plays on defense. I want a perspective of a quarterback. What's going through your mind when it's third and 19 in the final 30 seconds you're behind and the opposition, which is Notre Dame, doesn't blitz. They drop back into quarters defense. What are you thinking? I'm going to get that from Evan for you coming up here in just a little bit. So a lot to get to. Let's start with the highlights from the Notre Dame Radio Network. Paul Burmeister, Ryan Harris on the call here on WSBT Radio. Hartman drops back, looking over the middle, looking, firing. The ball is caught with one hand by Mitchell Evans. Wow! On the 25-yard line, tackled right after he caught the ball by middle linebacker Steele Chambers. But Sam Hartman hung in the pocket, waited and waited, threw it 15 yards downfield, and Mitchell Evans caught it with his left hand for a 13-yard gain. He's ready for the snap. There it is. Hold is good. Kick is up. It will be plenty long. And Spencer Schrader missed it. Pulled it to his left from 47 yards out. As McCord gets under center. Takes the snap. Play action. Wants the pass. On the 10. Rolls to his right. Throws to the end zone. Knocked down. Batted down. Falls incomplete in the end zone. Turnover and downs on the one-yard line. Buckeyes looking at second down nine on their own 36 from the right hash. From the gun, McCord drops back. 
Throws deep down the near sideline. A diving catch on the 35-yard line is made by Marvin Harrison, Jr. But from the right hash, ball on the 21-yard line. 31-yard attempt for Jaden Fielding. He awaits the snap in the hole. Snap, hold, kick is up. Distance not an issue. And we have our first points of the night. Jaden Fielding with a field goal. 26 seconds now until halftime, and Ohio State leads Notre Dame three to nothing. They're calling it fourth down and one from the 39. Now Notre Dame is hustling to get back on the ball. Sam Hartman is under center, and he takes a quarterback sneak to his left. Big hit. He was drilled as he crossed the 40. It's going to be awfully close. The ruling he on the field is one that was short of the line of game. Turnover on downs, first down. Ohio State. Gives to Travion Henderson up the middle, now bounces to the left, has a little room, 45-50, uh-oh, he's got the far sideline. 30, 20, 10, touchdown Buckeyes. Hartman to throw, over the middle, complete, Tobias Merriweather, five, down to the one-yard line and tackled. He spun inside the five and almost got to the end zone. Notre Dame will now have first and goal from just inside the one-yard line, 15 yards from Hartman to Merriweather. A so Payne in the shotgun, standing on the left hash on the five-yard line, takes the snap, runs up the middle, met with resistance, but gets in. Touchdown to Bron Payne. Lined up as the quarterback took the shotgun snap, sprinted right up the middle and fought his way into the end zone and reached across the strike. So with 3.35 left in the third quarter, Ohio State now leads Notre Dame 10-6. Fires over the middle, leaping grab at the 40-yard line of Ohio State. Mitchell Evans, well done. Skied to get it, went right to the ground right after he secured it. But on third and 10, he gets 25. Price motions to the left. Hartman looking to the left, looking, firing, end zone. Touchdown, Notre Dame! Rico Flores Jr. in between the hashes, eight yards deep in the end zone. Goes up, comes down with the ball, and when he comes down, Notre Dame has the lead for the first time tonight. 8.22 left in the game. Fighting Irish 13, Buckeyes 10. Fourth and less than a yard. Jet sweep to the right side, to the 10. Push back. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. Didn't get it. Omeka Ibuka, the wide receiver, came in motion from the left, went jet sweep to the right, and the former Buckeye, Javante Jean-Baptiste, met him in the backfield. With 15 seconds left, McCord drops back. Only a three-man rush. Stands up, fires to the goal line. Ball caught at the one-yard line, incomplete. The ball was caught. They do reel a catch. They're running up, nine seconds left. They have first down on the, now eight seconds left. They spike the ball. 14 to 10, Notre Dame leads number six, Ohio State. Seven seconds left. The Buckeyes have second to goal on the one-yard line. Travion Henderson to the right. They're going to pass. McCord rolling to his right. Fires to the end zone. Incomplete. Three seconds left. 233-pound running back Chip Trainum comes in. He's to the right of McCord. He's in the shotgun. Takes the snap. Gives the Trainum. Right up the middle. Into the end zone. Touchdown, Ohio State. No time left. Oh, my goodness. On the final play of the game, Trainum with a one-yard touchdown run. Ohio State wins 16 to 14. Yeah, it was not any easier to listen to that than experience it, experiencing that game 
on Saturday. But great work there by Paul Burmeister on the Notre Dame radio network. I'll give you a tease right now for our Twitter question of the day. And I, and I think it's a very fair question. I also want to kind of see where you are. But on my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeep, today's question is, what played the most into the outcome of the loss to Ohio State? Was it the offense scoring only 14 points and leaving a lot of points on the field? Or was it the defense on that final drive, giving up the third down and 19 pass, and then back-to-back plays with 10 men on the field? You can vote right now. Also tomorrow on my Twitter X account at 960SportsPeep. The offense left a lot of points out there, folks. A lot of points. And when you hold Ohio State to 17, you feel like you win the game. But it didn't happen. So because I'm starting with what everybody is talking about, the end of the game, I'm not saying it's all on the defense. It is just a lightning rod topic with 10 players on the field on back-to-back plays with the game on the line against a top-10 opponent while you're leading with seconds left. So I want to be clear. This is not all on the defense or this sequence. The offense, special teams, there are plays throughout that game, the missed opportunities on interceptions, the short yardage miscues. We can go on and on. So I want to be clear. This is not pointing the finger at the defense for that final sequence. It is just the hotbed topic, and that is 10 players on the field, back-to-back plays. What makes this even more head-scratching, seven seconds to go, Notre Dame calls timeout. They had 11 players on the field when they went to the sideline for the timeout. When they returned, they had 10. I am not blaming this player. I am just pointing out that defensive lineman Gabe Rubio was out there before the timeout. He was not after the timeout. I cannot tell you why that was the case. So out of a timeout, you have 10, and you dodge the bullet because Ohio State threw an incomplete pass. Then you stop right there in the story. You pause, and if you had the luxury of being on my Twitter account this weekend, I videotaped that last sequence in which Notre Dame had the opportunity to get the 11th player on the field after that incompletion. A, after the play, you could have done it, but they got a reprieve when Ohio State substituted. In the video, you see a running back coming onto the field, one coming off. Any substitution, we always see one of the officials behind the offense get near the center, extend their arms, and prevent the offense from snapping the football to give the defense an opportunity to match personnel. And nothing happened. The ref walked away, and Notre Dame still had 10 on the field. And whether it was someone upstairs for Ohio State seeing the big bubble along the right side of the Irish defensive line, or if just that's where they were going. The game-winning touchdown was scored where someone should have been. I've talked to several people today, coaches, players, and everyone has told me the same thing. Now, this does not guarantee Notre Dame does it in this fashion. 
this is just what I asked to people who have been there and done that. And I asked. So many fans immediately want to point at Marcus Freeman for this happening or defensive coordinator Al Golden. I didn't believe that blame should go just to those two. This is a group screw up. When I asked players and coaches of the past who played for Notre Dame or coached for Notre Dame, they said when they were a part of Notre Dame football, a GA was normally in charge of counting personnel on every play. So you had a grad assistant upstairs. Their job was to count 11 individuals. If not, holy cow, blah, 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 this is a problem. I even was given an example by a coach that a GA caught that the backup quarterback went in at flanker and everybody be aware that was sent down the line on headset to the defensive coordinator The message got out to the team, and disaster maybe was prevented because of that GA catching that. That's what they can do in a football game. They're the people you see in practice. You have no idea who they are. That might be an example of a GA. So what I've been told, that is a common way of dealing with personnel on the field. Again, I can't tell you if that is how Marcus Freeman and the Irish do it. I'm just giving you an example of how it has been done in the past at Notre Dame. And whatever the case may be, with all the eyes from the Notre Dame coaching staff, for that to be missed is absolutely stunning, shocking, and unacceptable. What we saw is unacceptable. That's Pop Warner stuff. This is maybe the biggest moment of the season, and you can't get the personnel right. I even asked, I can't imagine there's that many goal line personnel packages. And I was told it's very limited. So it's not like you have 62 packages at the goal line to get the personnel right. There are so many things that happen in the game. And that's all together, that's why Notre Dame lost. I'm not picking on this. I don't want to make that perfectly clear but how unacceptable that sequence was should tick off every fighting Irish fan it's one thing for players to make a mistake they are 17 to 24 year olds but coaches who are there to put their team in the best position to succeed failed them on back-to-back plays I remember when I first got here Bob Davey had the discombobulation back-to-back weeks of screwing up the clock while on offense in the closing seconds, and they ran out of time. Back-to-back weeks. And he, he said, oh, that's not discombobulation. Eh, it kind of was. That's the last time I can remember something as, as just mind-boggling to happen in a game as what we saw. Hey, we make bad play calls. Tacklers take bad routes. Cornerbacks get burned. I mean, there are so many things that happen in a game, but for that to happen at Notre Dame in a big game, folks, you cannot accept that, and you should not give any excuses. All right, so let's backtrack. Before all that happened, the Irish were in a great spot. Ohio State was third and 19 
at the Notre Dame 22, trailing the Irish 14-10. Al Golden had a decision to make, and it was a big one. Do you bring pressure on third and 19, or do you lay back trying to prevent a pass near the sticks? We all know that the pass rush by itself is not going to get there. That option eliminated. It came down to bringing pressure or laying back. Al decided to rush three, drop eight in coverage, play quarters, which is designed to take away deep passes down the field. You can argue, for those of you saying, oh, they should have blitzed. I respect your thought, and I partially agree with you. But can we also add in, if defended properly by the players, that gets broken up. There was too much room for the receiver to make the catch with those many people back. I will say this to those of you that believe they should have blitzed. Your argument works for me because what is the strength of the Notre Dame defense? To me, those corners playing man, they are dudes. They are dogs. And to watch Morrison shadow one of the best wide receivers in recent memory, Marvin Harrison Jr., it was spectacular. If he could go to the NFL draft this year, man, teams would fight over him. I watched him from the press box go one-on-one with Harrison as much as I could. Spectacular. And Cam Hart was really, really good as well. So for those of you that wanted to blitz on third and 19, I think you have an argument. Because you got a man probably situation on the outside in coverage. You blitz. You try to get rid of that football early so they don't have a chance to get down the field. Rushing three offered the opportunity for the receivers to get close to the sticks. There's a breakdown. They make the catch. And just like that, they're in business. Marcus Freeman was asked the plan on third and 19. Why go rush three, drop eight? Yeah, we wanted to play coverage, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, we thought we were going to be able to kind of give them a different look and, and play some quarters and, and do a good ball, man. We threw a, a really good ball. That last year's we're trying to kind of mix it up a little bit with the young quarterback and not just play man every play and we end up putting it in a tight window. And uh, they made a play. You know, I do get that. Mix it up. Don't let him just see the same thing over and over. Try to confuse him. I get that. But can I look at it a different way? I made this analogy on the Blue and Gold YouTube show earlier this afternoon. I use this baseball reference. If I'm pitching and I'm facing Barry Bonds, and it's a 3-2 count, am I going to go with my third best pitch, my fourth best pitch, or am I going to go with my meat and potatoes, my best pitch, whatever it is? Against the best, I go with my best. And if he hits it a country mile, I tip my cap. But I'm not going to get beat by my second, third, fourth, or fifth pitch. I'm going to get beat with my best stuff. And there's a part of me that does say, I don't think on that third and 19 play, Notre Dame was beaten by offering their best stuff. And in that moment, I 
kind of want my best stuff to be at the front of the call sheet. But again, I get why Al went that direction. If played properly, golden strategy works. Unfortunately, he didn't get the help necessary. But I just want to throw in, again, I'm going to go with my best in that big, big moment. Okay, now to the 10 men on the field in back-to-back plays. Here's Marcus Freeman on Saturday being asked for the first time what in the world happened in those two plays. We were trying to get a fourth D lineman on the field, and I told him just stay off because we can't we can't afford a penalty. I didn't have any timeouts, right? So we couldn't afford a penalty there. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's on us. It's got to be better. Before that, when the game comes down to that last play like that, what's the message to the team in the huddle just to, before they get out on the field? Freaking win the interval. That's all I said. Uh, so I said, you know, it was really two plays. We caught a timeout on third down, right? And so there's two plays um, really to be prepared for in that situation. And so, you know, it went and threw it incomplete pass, had three seconds left, and we couldn't get a timeout, right? We were out of timeouts. You can't really – crowds allowed. You can't relay a message. And so, you know, I told them we're probably going to run the same call twice. And that's uh, what we end up doing. Okay, so that was Marcus on Saturday. And then a follow-up question was asked later during Saturday's press conference. You heard Marcus say, you know, he didn't want to take the penalty. So he was basically asked, well, what's the disadvantage or the negative of taking a penalty to allow your 11 to get on the field? Yeah, you, you could have, you know, you could have. But, you know, to me it was like, hey, don't give them another opportunity to get settled and to try to make a different call, right? Hey, guys, like, stay off the field. Let's not give them a freebie from a half-yard line, and um, let's try to stop them, you know? And I thought maybe they would do the same thing they did the snap before. They didn't. They end up running the ball. Um, so I got to watch the play and see where the ball hit. But, um, yeah, that's why I made that decision. Okay, two parts to that. Number one, I tried to put myself – in Marcus's shoes yesterday. And I came up with this. That was such a unique, bizarre situation. You had to think quick on your feet. When you finally realize you only had 10, you have seconds to make a decision. And if I'm in his shoes without a timeout, I don't know what I would have done. After the fact, taking the penalty makes total sense, but In the heat of the moment, I don't know if I could have processed that. The second part is, Marcus mentioned he didn't want to give Ohio State a freebie. I think it comes down to this. Here's your choices. Which is better for the defense? Neither is great, but which is better? Is it Ohio State snapping from the one-yard line with 10 Notre Dame defenders, or Would it be better for Ohio State to snap the ball from the half-yard line with 11 defenders? What gives Notre Dame the best chance? I think you ask yourself that. In the heat of the moment, I don't know if I could have processed it. 40 hours later, if I can figure out a way to get one of my players to commit a dead ball penalty, I do it, and I'll take my chances with 11 from the half-yard line rather than trying to stop them without a defensive lineman. If it's a safety, it's different, but it's a defensive lineman, part of your brick wall. So I'm probably taking 11 players versus Ohio State from the half-yard line. But again, 
that is way, way, way after the fact in the heat of the moment. That's a tough call even for a veteran head coach, let alone a coach in his 20th game. So what about the substitution issues? Marcus addressed that today. Called that timeout, that timeout because we wanted to see what formation they were in, and then we wanted to call a timeout just to, to try to match up to it. You know, and, and there's a whole bunch of systems in place to make sure that doesn't happen. But ultimately, Peter, it falls on me. And, and that's the reality. I, I'm not going to get up here and say this person should have done that, that person. Ultimately, I have to do a better job as a head coach to make sure those systems you just talked about we have in place are executed, right? We as a coaching staff um, should be held to the exact same standards we tell our players to. Right. And, and we tell our players often, you hear me say, fight the drift. Right. You can't get caught watching the game. Everybody has a job to do on this play. Winning coaches got to win the interval, too. And uh, we all have to own that and uh, make sure that never happens. I give Marcus credit. He did what he was supposed to do. He fell on the sword today. But it's not his sword to fall on all by himself. Marcus, they're talking about you can't get caught up in the moment. I ask this. As a fan, as a media member talking to you, I would just like to know what the defensive line coach was doing in that moment. Or the GA and coaches upstairs, whoever was in charge of counting personnel. Marcus has a lot on his plate as a head coach. And it's not only his responsibility to know how many people are on the field. That's why you have coordinators and assistant coaches and position coaches and GAs. The heck? I just One play, I think we've all seen it enough where it happens. But two plays, and let alone Ohio State substituted, you can get a free substitution, and it didn't happen. A ton could have been different throughout the game. And Notre Dame wins. And maybe if the offense leaves less points on the field and puts more on the scoreboard, we never get to third and 19. We never get to 10 men on the field and back-to-back plays. 14 points for what they accomplished between the 20s in that game had to be better. And if they were better, then we're not having a conversation about Ten men on the field at the barbershop today. Or third and 19, not blitzing. This is a group loss. The sexier conversation is the last defensive segment, but the entire offensive performance had to be better. Simply put. Offensive line played great. If you told me they were going to play like that, I would have said Notre Dame won by 10 to 14 points. But there was some inexperience I think in some of the play calling and execution wasn't great at all times and a very bizarre overturn on Sam Hartman's fourth down conversion I just still have not seen conclusive evidence that he did not get the first down you could say well maybe I think he did no you can't see it that was a major play in that game that overturn I don't know what the heck the Big Ten officiating crew drank for the game, but, boy, they struggled throughout that ball game. What a shame. We'll take a timeout. Everything I just talked about, I need a player's perspective. 
Former Irish quarterback Evan Sharpley joins me next as we continue on following the Irish loss to Ohio State 17-14 on Budweiser's weekday sports beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Uh, here at Notre Dame, to have a chance to play these kind of teams, you have an opportunity to jump up and, and maybe in some ways be a spoiler. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. We're talking about Stanford. Yeah, if you want to ask me a question about Stanford, I'm all ears. I'll pass. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And most of the football players who chose USC over UCLA because it's easier to spell. Oh, yes, we're back on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Wild ball game Saturday. The Buckeyes take down the Irish 17 14. I think there's a couple of things from this game. We need a player's perspective to offer some insights. So that's why I called upon my second favorite quarterback of all time, former Irish quarterback, Evan Sharpley. Sharp, great to have you back on the program. How are you? What an opening right there. That was awesome. (laughs) Old Charlie didn't want to talk about Stanford. So the reporter said, nah, I'll pass. I'm good. (laughs) That was epic. Oh man. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing good. Rocking and rolling. Uh, you know, selling boats these days still training some athletes here and there and uh drinking beer and watching sports so pretty good <laughs> so you're now officially one of us that's right 100 <laughs> i love it hey there's a couple of things i got to pick your brain on from this wild and wacky notre dame ohio state game and you know as we talk about a couple of these things that are negatives i, I do want to point out and i started the show with this a lot of good things happened in this game. Mitchell Evans and Brendan Morrison and Cam Hart, the offensive line, man, they balled out in this game. But there were a couple of things that popped up in the game that are head scratchers, including the end of the game. Now, you were a quarterback. You weren't on the defensive side of the football. But I think you can offer at least a perspective. Seven seconds to go, Sharp. Notre Dame calls timeout with Ohio State at the one-yard line. They use their final timeout. They had 11 players on the field going to the sideline, coming out of the timeout, they only had 10. A defensive end that was on the field did not return. So Ohio State runs a play, incomplete pass. It is third down with just a couple of seconds left. Ohio State subs a running back, which means the official comes in, stands by the center, puts his arms extended, which means the defense has the chance to sub. This is a free sub. Sharp, at that point, Notre Dame still didn't know they had 10 players on the field, and the game-winning touchdown was scored with only 10 players on the field. I think fans are wanting to know, how in the world can that happen? Marcus Freeman is falling on the sword, but to me, that's not the head coach's responsibility. That's why he has GAs, assistant coaches, on down the line. What do you say to Irish fans to how something like that can happen, let alone in the biggest moment maybe the season? Well, first, you know, first off, good on Marcus Freeman to fall on the start, the sword. I mean, that's that's what he's paid the big bucks to do. But Darren, you're right. It's a head, I mean, it's a head scratcher for me. Coming out of a, tie, a timeout, you know, usually how that is, both on offense and defense, is you're in the huddle, 
And on defense, a lot of times what will happen is you'll sub or you'll have a personnel group to match what the opposing offense has. And so, you know, obviously there's, there's going to be 11 guys that are going to be part of that personnel group. So, you know, if Ohio State comes out in two tight ends or three tight ends or a jumbo set or whatever it is, you have a defensive personnel that matches it. So for them to come out and not have the right number of players is very rare. It happens occasionally, but to then have it happen back-to-back and happen when Ohio State subs in a running back and you have the opportunity. So uh, you hit it. Between GAs, defensive line coach, defensive coordinator, or even a player on the field, like how do you not see a guy that's supposed to be in front of you and not there? So it happening once, rare. It happening twice even more rare and with a timeout and an opportunity to sub it's almost unheard of and to make matters worse it's in the biggest moment of the entire game so it's it's a it's a head scratcher it's frustrating and it's probably the most notre dame way to lose a football game evan you've been on the field in some very loud moments now this is a situation where Ohio State's offense is on the field, so the crowd is going crazy, as they should in that moment. So I'm imagining, as a player, even if the Notre Dame coaches were telling someone, hey, just jump offside, take the penalty, I would assume you're not going to be able to hear that. No, for sure. And, and, you know, what we didn't see, though, like from the players on the field, is usually when someone notices that, you know, they'll kind of put their hands up and maybe wave to the sideline, like, what's going on here? But we didn't even see that. So there's not much that can be communicated from the sideline. You're right, just given the noise and also proximity to and where, you know, the coaching box and then the players are allowed to be. Someone would have had to run a decent amount, uh, you know, a distance to get on the field to even make that happen. So all of that had to occur you know, obviously getting 11 guys on the field shouldn't be an issue, but needed to happen in the huddle. And then there had to be awareness once Ohio State made that sub. And to give a little context, too, for, you know, the, the normal football fan, there, there aren't a ton of goal line personnels, right? And when I was playing, we would, we would have a goal line package or a goal line period, usually on Thursdays, where we'd run goal line plays only for offense and defense. And then a follow-up on Friday during walkthrough where we'd go through subbing like, hey, you know, maybe somebody hits a big play. You go from, you know, the, the plus or the minus four or plus 40, you know, down into the red zone or the goal line, you're going to have to have an immediate sub. Um, and a lot of that, too, depends on, you know, at the goal line, are you going to maybe have somebody – a bigger body that's going to be on the, the defensive line who's maybe not necessarily playing um, in plus territory um, in, in the bigger field where there's more space. So there are some things that go into it, but I feel for Irish fans because it's for, it has to be extremely frustrating where, you know, really you had a good, you had a good game plan. I thought they beat Ohio state up, you know, for three, four quarters controlled the football. I mean, the game went way different than I thought it was going to go uh, leading up to this, this matchup. And then to come out with a loss where they should have, they obviously should they should have won that game, had other opportunities too. I mean, we back it up to see even the third and 19. I mean, don't let them get a first down. You probably win the football game, right? Yeah. Um, 
so there's there's just some things there that have just got to leave, leave a bad taste in the mouth of the players, the coaches, and obviously the fans too. Former Irish quarterback Evan Sharpley, my guest on WSBT Radio. I want you to take me through that third and 19 for a moment from a quarterback's perspective. Marcus Freeman said they were trying to mix up coverages, don't play just man, which they played a lot in this game. And, again, Morrison and Hart were fantastic against two elite wide receivers. So they were mixing things up late. They decided on third and 19 from the 22 to go quarters defense. So they rushed three. They basically, I guess, Sharp, you could say they had four guys right along the goal line. As a quarterback, if you see quarters defense and you have third and 19, do you feel like that is a defensive formation that I might be able to make a play on compared to Notre Dame blitzing? And, and let me also add this. I'm not sure the blitz would have got there. That's been kind of a trend all year. Yeah, but if you've had success, and, and you, you said it, I mean, Morrison's a stud. He did a great job. Um, you know, and limiting explosives. But if you're seeing quarter coverage and, and you have a good play design that overloads, especially one of those, you know, the, the two high safeties there, if you can overload a zone there, you're going to have an opportunity. And that's what happened. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those coverages kind of in a tweener area on the field. You know, if they had been deeper in the red zone, you probably are going to play like a cover seven where you're going to bracket everywhere and it's going to limit it. But I would have loved to have seen really the MO that they had success with for four quarters, you know, maybe bring a little pressure or disguise it as like a blitz zone where you have a guy that drop into coverage um, and, and then let your defensive backs do what they were doing. And, and you, you know, at that point you'd have to get a clear beat from an Ohio state receiver to make it happen. But I get it. You know, the mentality a lot of times in third and 19 where your playbook is usually limited, uh, but the time of the game, the score is going to dictate likely Ohio State probably didn't look at their third and 19 plays. They probably approached it as, you know, maybe a, maybe a first down pass play. Um, something along those lines. But when you see quarter coverage like that, all you have to do is over, overload one of those zones, and you're probably going to have two guys in a space where there's not enough defenders. Yeah, it looked like there were two Ohio State receivers that kind of sandwiched one defender, and the defender had to make a choice, and he was put in a really tough spot. And, and give McCord credit, he made a really, really good throw on that third down and 19. I'd just like to get your general thoughts and your impressions of what you've seen from Sam Hartman so far this year. It's so helpful to have a guy with that maturity and experience. You know, he he clearly has brought consistency to this offense. Uh, It does help to have a running back like Audric Estime and an offensive line that's been playing good too. You know, we're going to see the, the real Sam Hartman his type of leadership now after this loss, because this Duke football team is no slouch. You know, they're putting up 30, 40 points. They have a very talented quarterback, a great coaching staff. Uh, I think a road game though, probably bodes well for Notre Dame. Uh, You know, it's a, it's a business trip. You approach it a little bit different. They got to tighten some things up. Uh, But it's one of those things where this is a scary game, I think, for me and probably for Irish fans, too, coming off a very emotional game at night. 
an emotional loss. Um, but they, again, very talented quarterback, and there's a reason why Notre Dame was in this football game, and I think a lot of it had to do with his steady hand and his leadership. Would you almost rather go on the road after a tough loss at home? For sure, 100%. Um, I think it eliminates some of the distractions. Uh, you know, like I said, it, it, you really do treat it, not that you don't a home game, but there's a lot more hoopla, uh, you know, people coming on campus with an away game, you know, not everybody travels. So it's a smaller kind of tighter group. Um, you know, it, you're going, you're going to the, the plane, you're going and doing meetings likely on Friday night. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a very, very different mentality. So I'm hopeful that early in the game, Notre Dame is able to come out and, and really set the tone. Uh, you know, if they come out, if they come out flat, it, it could be a dogfight for four quarters. Hmm. Evan Sharpley, my guest, the former Irish quarterback. Let me go back to estimate just for a second. This is debated by Irish fans. You know, they've got five running backs that they feel very comfortable in using pain scored as basically the old the quarterback five yards deep at the one-yard line and scored a touchdown. Ford is good in, in various things, pain and love or explosive carrying the football. But to me, Audrick Estime is, is the meal money guy. He's the guy that I want to bank on in big moments. And against Central Michigan, he had 20 of the 37 carries, which was very uncharacteristic normally. As you know, Evan, it's, it's broken up amongst the guys. In this game, he had 14 of the 39 carries. Now, Marcus Freeman always talks about we take the strengths of each running back and we use them. As a quarterback, does it matter there are so many different running backs in the game? Would you prefer that estimate guy who is one of the best running backs in the country? I think a lot of teams would love to have him carry the ball 20, 25 times a contest. I would hand it to him every time until he gets tired. And he can <laughs> tell you when he's tired. I mean, you have a guy like that. I mean – you look at him, you saw his interview probably on Pat McAfee wearing that basketball jersey. I mean, there aren't too many guys that are going to be able to go four quarters toe-to-toe -to -toe and continually tackle him. So, at this point, I think he needs to get the lion's share. I know they have a lot of talented running backs in that running back room. And, you know, from an offensive standpoint as, as the coordinator, and really it's probably going to get to the running backs coach too on how they're, you know, setting up personnel packages down in distance all of those things likely take into account, but that dude's a beast, man. And, you know, if I'm, at, if, if I'm playing quarterback and I'm either in the gun or under center and I see that dude standing next to me or behind me and we need a couple yards, it, it's, it, it makes a big difference. And certainly we didn't see this as much in this game, but when Sam Hartman has had the most success, it's been when Audric Estime got going and they were able to play action the ball down the field. Hmm. Final question for you, Evan. Just in general, and I know fans are stinging after the loss to Ohio State, a game I think they really should have won, but they didn't. Credit to Ohio State. Year two of Marcus Freeman, does it feel a little different? Do you feel like steps have been taken that this team is just a little closer to getting over that hump? Well, I went into this season, you know, optimistic but still cautious. It's an important year for Marcus Freeman and the program, you know, coming off of what happened last year, transitioning, you know, with a new coach and Brian Kelly leaving. I don't think I'm still ready to say 
they're over the hump and they're they're taking that next step. You know, there's a lot of parity though this year in college football, Darren. And had they won this football game, you know, I probably would have had to change my tune a little bit. I, I went into it with Notre Dame nine and three, and really the games I was circling it was Ohio State, Clemson, and USC. Now Clemson worries me much less at this point. Duke is scary to me now. USC still is too. But Notre Dame does have an opportunity. You know, if, if, they can, if they can regroup and refocus here, go on the road and beat an undefeated Duke team, which would be another quality win, and get to USC with only one loss, you win that football game, Darren, and your one loss is to, you know, probably an Ohio State team that's, you know, they, they, although they, they could struggle a little bit in the Big Ten, I don't know if they're a playoff team. I don't think probably in my mind they are. But you have a quality, you have a quality loss, if we want to call it that. And those do count, especially in a year where maybe there aren't a clear-cut, you know, one, two, three, four. Because in the years past, especially, uh, you know, in college football playoffs, is you've either had like a clear-cut Alabama or a Georgia in, in Ohio State for a few years that were just, you know, clear and above better than the rest of the field. And I don't think I'm prepared at this point, and, and we'll probably have a better view on that as we get into conference play to see how the, the SEC is, um, you know, how the Big Ten is. But, you know, th- this team can still get to 11-1, and one. I still have just my concerns in, in some areas um, uh, of this football team, and those were some red flags I had I had going in. But they played really well against Ohio State, even though it was a loss and there are no moral victories. They fought and they clawed. Unfortunately, it didn't come out the way. So I probably sound like a broken record, but this next week's really important, Darren. Hey, Evan, where can Irish football fans catch you talking Notre, Notre Dame football? Because I know you have a very successful podcast. Slightly successful. I mean, we just we have a lot of fun. Uh, it's called Varsity Brews. Uh, my buddy Vahid Sadarazadi and Aaron West. Uh, Aaron owns Westwind Brewery in Elkhart. Uh, we started this podcast last year because I, I really wasn't doing a ton of media anymore uh, as far as radio and TV. And it was a nice respite, but we kind of, hey, it'd be fun to talk, uh, you know, college, NFL, football, maybe some other sports too, and drink beer. So uh, we do it at Westwind Brewery usually. We're actually up at Higgins Lake in northern Michigan on a Barletta pontoon boat a couple weeks ago hanging out. But you you can catch it on, you know, wherever you download podcasts, usually about an hour or so. And... We have some guests on occasionally. We had Malik Zaire on last week, and as you know, Darren, he doesn't pull any punches. So, uh, and, and honestly, neither do I. Uh, nope. You know, e- even though I played at Notre Dame and I have a great affinity for my alma mater, they're you know, in my mind, most former players are going to tell you they're going that Notre Dame is going to go 12 and 0 every year. And um, you know, I think that giving a realistic and thoughtful approach to where this program is and maybe some changes that need to be made resonates with a lot of people. So you can check out the Varsity Brews podcast or, hey, you, if you're in the area, you want to stop by, 
you know, either direct message me on Instagram or Twitter uh, or one of our other hosts, and we can let you know where we're going to be. We're, uh, we'll be at Westwind. Uh, normally, uh, we're looking at probably doing uh, JC uh, coal oven pizza uh, next week uh, over in uh, that Mishawaka Granger area. So we, we do have a lot of fun. Sharp, I appreciate you doing this. Always appreciate your perspective as a player and a Notre Dame player. So thanks for the visit, and we'll be in touch soon. Thank you, Darren. The home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT South Bend. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues, brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, for 13 years. Folds of Honor and Budweiser have provided life-changing scholarships to military families. Join United Beverage in raising a bud to raise funds for Folds of Honor. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Bethel University's adult and graduate studies, Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. September is Hunger Action Month. How will you choose to help end hunger? Learn more at FeedIndiana.org. Buy Legacy Heating and Air. Ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. Midland Engineering Company. Beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. South Bend Orthopedics, trusted in the community for 75 years and by Notre Dame Hockey. The wait is over. Single game tickets for the 23-24 season is now on sale. I'm Darren Pritchett, 15 minutes after 6 o'clock. I'm a little behind on the show. We've had a lot to talk about, as you can imagine. After Notre Dame's loss to Ohio State, 17-14 on Saturday. Our next segment, you'll hear from Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated, the Notre Dame beat reporter, get his thoughts on the game Saturday at Notre Dame Stadium. But right now, let's take care of this. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960. WSBT. On Friday, we asked you our normal Twitter question of the day. What is the correct parlay for the Ohio State Notre Dame showdown? Well, there ended up not being a correct answer because at the time of the vote, Ohio State was favored by three. It went up to three and a half after we posted it. So we had a push. Fourth in the voting, Ohio State minus three, over 56 and a half points, got 11% of the vote. Of course, the game was well under 56 and a half. Third in the voting, 15% said Ohio State minus three, under 56 and a half. Second in the voting, Notre Dame plus three and over 56 and a half. That would have been wrong, even if Notre Dame would have won. And the closest... But a push on the plus three, Notre Dame plus three and under 56 and a half points, 41% went that direction. We thank you for voting on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Today's question is a little different. Normally we hand out game balls, but today I'm asking this. 
what played the most into the outcome of the Notre Dame 17-14 loss to Ohio State? Two choices. Number one, the offense only scoring 14 points. Choice number two, the defense with 10 men on the field and back-to-back plays on that last drive and also allowing Ohio State to convert a third and 19. We'd love for you to vote on my Twitter X account at 960Sportsbeat. For those of you that play fantasy football and your game might be on the line tonight with quarterback Joe Burrow in your lineup. Well, Charlie Clifford from the NBC affiliate in Cincinnati two minutes ago tweeted out, Warm-ups are underway. Jake Browning is warming up. Joe Burrow watching from the bench. Typically, Burrow would be throwing by now. Stay tuned. So if you have Joe Burrow starting, I hope you have Jake Browning or maybe one of the other quarterbacks starting tonight. Philadelphia and Tampa Bay, Hurts and Mayfield. And you've got the Bengals taking on the Rams with Matthew Stafford in the lineup for Los Angeles. So looks like Joe Burrow might be not playing tonight based on that report from Charlie over at WLWT in Cincinnati. All right, back to Notre Dame football talk. We'll have a chat with Tyler Horka coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the strike. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Low snap, hands off inside to Estime. 10-5. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame. And we kick off the 6 o'clock hour as we continue to recap Ohio State edging Notre Dame 17-14 on Saturday. We bring in Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He is the Notre Dame football beat reporter. I'm Darren Pritchett. Tyler, what do you think was a bigger part of the outcome of this game? Was it the final defensive sequence with third and 19, only rushing three, and then the 10 men on the field, two consecutive plays? Or was it more about the offense only scoring 14 points with a lot of points left on the field? I will say the offense, and I will take it a step further. It was particularly the offensive sequence that preceded third and 19 and 10 men on the field, and that entire one minute and 25 seconds 65-yard touchdown drive, I believe it was. Look, if your defense makes a fourth-and-one stop on Ohio State's plus territory, meaning Ohio State was, I think it was nearing the red zone, right around the red zone, when they tried that jet sweep to Emeka Abuka on fourth-and-one, and your defense bows up and stops that guy, future NFL player, and gives the ball back to the offense with four minutes and 12 seconds left and says, hey, here's our chance to win the game, and then you get a couple first downs, but you get the ball right back. You can't do that. You cannot do that if you're the Notre Dame offense. So it's not just that they only scored 14 points in the game. It kind of the game devolved into another one of those. Brian Day calls them matchup games, and that's kind of what it was. It was a chess match, and 
It ended up being another low-scoring test match for the second year in a row. But when you're the Notre Dame offense and you have that ball in your hands and all that's stopping you from a victory over the number six team in the country is a couple more first downs and you get away from running the ball like you did on those two plays, that, that's it right there. That's, that was the nail for me. That was when I said, oh, no, they're giving the ball back to Ohio State. It, it kind of feels like something bad can happen here. But lo and behold, it did. Tyler, how would you assess the Notre Dame defensive coach's game plan and the players' execution over the first 57 minutes and how their grade went down based on what we saw in the closing 15 seconds of that ball game? Yeah, here's the thing. I don't think Notre Dame did too much differently in terms of just play calling and who they are defensively. In those last couple minutes, look, it was, it was the blunders that, that did Notre Dame in. Uh, fourth and seven is huge. I thought that was the ball game. I really thought Notre Dame was going to get a stop there, but there it is again, slot receiver getting open and running across the middle of the field, literally gets right to the line to gain. Uh, third and 19, it wasn't rushing three for me and, and dropping eight. It was the, what the eight that dropped did or didn't do that I said, gosh, if you just do a – things a little bit differently within the confines of the single play that's the you know that's the game you, you get a stop and you win the ball game so it was just kind of the way that they executed down the stretch was the thing that was different for me from the first 57 and a half minutes there and was they just didn't do the things but like for example in those last 90 seconds they played on you know some of those plays were actually really good uh, there were some incomplete passes. I think Kyle McCord only went three of six or three of seven, but, you know, the three ended up being really big completions, probably his biggest of the game. But there was a lot to like there, and that's why I say it wasn't a whole lot different. It, it felt like they were going to do the thing and, and win the football game, but, you know, a couple third downs and the fourth and seven, and then eventually only ten guys on the field for the last two plays, that was the difference. And on those plays where they just kind of – had those mishaps and those blunders, whatever you want to call them, that mirrored the 61-yard Travion Henderson touchdown, which I don't think enough people are talking about. You can't really lose outside contain there, whether it was Maris Riafel that should have been there. Uh, our own Mike Goolsby at blueandgold.com played the linebacker position, and he said that was um, J.D. Bertrand's. Uh, that, that's where he should have been on the field. I think Tim Hyde at blueandgold.com said the same thing as well. He needed to get out and, and be able to help Xavier Watts to where Xavier Watts wouldn't have been on an island on that play. So you can handpick five to seven plays where you say the Notre Dame defense wasn't good enough here. 40 to 50 of them, man, they were really stout. But in a matchup game like that, like Ryan Day calls it, if you're not good on five to seven plays, the other team is really good and will make you pay. That's, an, that's what ended up happening for Ohio State. He's Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated. Read his work at blueandgold.com. Ten men on the field, two consecutive plays with the game on the line and a top ten matchup in a game where you're winning, that's pretty indefensible. It is. And I think Marcus Freeman knows it. He tried to wiggle his way out of it on Saturday, but then just came out on Monday, got out in front of it and said, hey, look, we have to be better. Ultimately, it falls on me, which it does. But, gosh, there's so many people that could have helped Marcus Freeman out in that instance. He doesn't have the, van the best vantage point to say, hey, there's only 10 guys out there, by the way. There's some people up in the booth with headsets on. 
could have even been an offensive staffer that calls down and says, hey, I only see 10 of us out there. And for it to happen on two consecutive plays after Notre Dame calls a timeout to, you know, they, they saw Ohio State's offensive formation and said, okay, we're, we're going to use a timeout and come back out and get our personnel that we want out there and the, and the look that we want. And they only send 10 guys out there. Ohio State runs a play to the opposite side of the field where the guy was missing, by the way. So Ohio State, that told me at that time, they didn't know that there were only 10 guys out there too. But then Ohio State subs, Trip Trainum, who eventually scores the touchdown, comes in. The refs stand over the ball and say, hey, Notre Dame, do you want to do anything with this? We're going to let you sub before they run this play, last play of the game. And Notre Dame says nothing. Everyone stands there. They don't send another guy on the field. That, that was the nail right there that told me, holy cow, they really don't know what's going on. Of course, I, I'm standing on the field at this point, so I didn't know that there were only 10 guys on the field. But once you look, look back at it and you take into context that college football teams are such an expansive operation and organization, somebody's got to figure out within the course of those two plays that there's only 10 guys out there. Like you said, Darren, it's inexcusable and defensible. Hmm. Against Central Michigan, Audric Estime had 20 of the 37 carries. You could say that's surprising against a lesser opponent that your number one Uh running back had that many carries on a team in which they will use all five running backs throughout the ballgame. Then you move to Ohio State, a game that you wanted to be physical, you wanted to wear down that Ohio State defense. In this game, he had 14 of the 39 carries, and – Let's face it, Love and Price, when they touched the football, they had success, averaging seven yards per carry. Is there a need, even with those numbers being told, for Estime to have more opportunities on the field for this football team? Yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't say double-edged sword because that's probably not the right analogy, but there's a little bit of nuance to it where you look at the box score, and sometimes the box score doesn't tell the whole story. I keep going back to the thing that Ryan Day said about matchup game. It was, it was, it devolved into this low scoring, weird thing. Possessions aren't there. Touches are at a premium for everybody. Notre Dame decides to try to strike the Ohio state defense with Jeremiah love, who was running very hard and very fast, great football player. You don't take away his eight carries for 57 yards or whatever it was. No, you, you, you take that every single time. So, and then, like you said, Jadarian Price had a good average as well. It was only three carries, but just weird. It's weird to see Audric to look up and only see 14 carries for Audric Estime. There were definitely some spots in that game where you could have given him the ball a little bit more, but it's just a weird game where Notre Dame didn't run a whole lot of offensive plays. And I keep saying that Travion Henderson, he had 61-yard touchdown. He only had 14 carries as well, so there's probably some – fans on the other side of the Ohio border that are saying, how the heck did Travion Henderson only have 14 carries? So weird game. If you're a Notre Dame fan, you definitely wish Audrick Estime would have had a few more chances, but I guess it just didn't really work out that way. I, I'm not sitting here on Monday saying Notre Dame lost because Audrick Estime no. didn't have more touches. Now, you probably should have given them the ball a little bit more on that one sequence that I opened this up with where Notre Dame's literally trying to run out the clock and run out the game and, and win the game, that's when you give it to Audrick Estime. So if he would have had 17 carries and two more of those would have been first downs on that drive, then, yeah, you win the game. But that's really the one spot where I would have said, yeah, you probably needed to get the ball there. I'll take your 17 carries and add two more on fourth and one. 
Yep, nope, there you go. There's, 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 so there's there's the 20, right? There you Three go. We're close. Yeah. So. How much money did Benjamin Morrison make for future endeavors with the NFL draft with what he did against Marvin Harrison Jr. when Marvin was on his side of the field? Yep, he's um, he's a three-year guy, Darren. Uh, his name's going to be called in, the, what would that be, the 2025 yeah. NFL draft after his junior year, 2024. He's a three-year guy. He's one of the best corners in college football. He went up against I think the guy that everyone would say is the best wide receiver in college football, and that guy, I know he gets injured, but he comes back and his, his ankle was heavily taped, yes, but he only gets one catch after he comes back, I believe. Maybe it was two. He only has three in the entire ballgame, and Benjamin Morrison is the reason for that. Usually you see Benjamin Morrison not get targeted at all. Like There's been games this year where – the personnel on the other side, Central Michigan, Tennessee State, whoever it is, says, yeah, we can't throw at this guy at all because it's 100% not going to go well for us. Benjamin Morrison was actually targeted nine times in this game. He only gave up five catches for, I want to say it was around like 30, 34, 35 yards, somewhere around there. So kept everything in front of him, went toe-to-toe with the best wide receiver in college football, made some, some pass breakups. I mean, he had a nice pass breakup in the end zone. On that last touchdown drive for Ohio State, like they weren't, they weren't going to get that ball into the end zone thrown at Benjamin Morrison. I can guarantee you that. So he made a lot of money, and, and he is that guy. He, he's a heck of a football player for Notre Dame. Did the team that played best Saturday win the game? Nope. Nope. Notre Dame was the better football team on that particular night, and I'm not going to say that they're a better football program. And uh, look, Ohio State, they're a very online bunch. My, my Twitter mentions have been pretty dang crazy over the last 48 hours with some of the stuff that they've been coming after me for. But I definitely believe that Notre Dame played better. Uh, I know that they dug themselves a 10-0 to hole, and at that point, Ohio State probably – at that point you're thinking, okay, this is a matchup ga- game like Ryan Day is saying, and Ohio State is just finding ways to, to get out to this lead. But – then Notre Dame goes on two straight scoring drives, and you're like, okay, yeah, this is what I've been watching all game. Like, they, like Notre Dame's got the lead, and it felt like they should have had the lead. So, okay, here it is. But then that last sequence happens, and, you know, the, the team that probably didn't play better than the other one ends up sneaking out. You see it sometimes in college football at any level of football. But, yeah, to answer your question, I thought Notre Dame was the better team that night. Finally, your biggest concern with Duke coming up next. Uh, I think you said it really well on our uh, Heidi Horka show, Darren. You can't let this thing snowball. And you're going on the road to another game that college game day is going to be at. So you know what the national media thinks about this one. It's a a big-time game. And Duke's a really good football team this year. Got a really good quarterback coached by former Notre Dame defensive coordinator Tim Elko. He's a really good football coach. So a lot of really good elements, a lot of things to like about Duke. You can't, if you're Notre Dame, sit there and say, okay, we're not playing Ohio State again, so we can, we can take a deep breath and just kind of roll into to, you know, Raleigh-Durham and say, all right, let's roll out and roll out the team and, and get a victory. Not going to work like that. This team's going to be fired up. It's a 7:30 game. You have to get up for this one. So if you ask me what I'm worried about for Notre Dame, getting up for the football game because so much emotion went into this Ohio State thing, man. It was a heck of a weekend in South Bend. But for Duke – This is going to be a heck of a weekend in Durham. Notre Dame has to be aware that it's walking into a little bit of a snake pit. 
What's coming up at blueandgold.com this week? Just coverage of this Duke game, man. I think we cover every single game that Notre Dame plays throughout the course of a college football season more thoroughly and better than everyone else on the beat. And there's some stuff that you can get at blueandgold.com that you can't get elsewhere. So if you're not subscribed, definitely go to blueandgold.com. And look, this Notre Dame football season is not over just because it lost to Ohio State, okay? There's still plenty to play for, and we're going to cover it all the way through. He is Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated, their Fighting Irish Beat reporter, and he'll join me for game day sports beat. He'll be down in Durham for the Irish Blue Devil game. We'll have game day sports beat brought to you by Bud Light from 4 until 6.30. Tyler, appreciate the time. Enjoy your week. We'll talk to you on Saturday. All right, Darren. Thanks. Can't wait. You bet. That's Tyler Horka. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports beat continues next on WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 642 at WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Our My Five Question of the Day for this Monday. Let's hand out five Notre Dame game balls from the 17-14 loss to Ohio State on Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. You know what? Let's do something different here. Number five goes to the Notre Dame fan base. At the game, tailgating at home, in your car, whatever the case may be. The fan base has had to be patient through the years. A lot of ups and downs. Big game moments that did not turn out well. And you keep coming back for more, and unfortunately... In this case, you get disappointed. But the electricity on campus during the game at Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday was absolutely spectacular. The closing moments there were electric. You deserve better. Your support is incredible. And hopefully, hopefully, you will see some big, big victories coming up. It's not going to soften the blow of this one because it's Ohio State. You lose with one second left. There's just some hiccups along the way that are frustrating. So hang in there. I know you'll be ready when your team plays at Duke Saturday night at 7.30. Well, I speak all the time. I feel like this guy needs to have the lion's share of the carries, but I understand the coaching staff likes to share responsibilities, use strengths of the different running backs, and it's worked well for them the last two years. But Audric, 14 carries for 70 yards, averaged 5.0 yards per carry, part of a rushing attack that went for 176 against Ohio State. Boy, that sure feels like that is a number that should have meant a victory for this Notre Dame football team. Okay, okay, Uh, number three. I'm gonna give it to the freshman skill position players. A lot was asked of them in this ball game and they responded. Jeremiah Love, eight carries, 57 yards. From a playing standpoint, Jadarian Price, first year, second year of the program, three for 22. Rico Flores Jr., second on the team in targets with five. 
Three catches, 20 yards, including the go-ahead touchdown for the Irish. And Jaden Greathouse, three targets, two catches, 40 yards along of 28. Another really good playmaking performance by some young pups for the Fighting Irish. Number two. Number two, we're going to go with tight end Mitchell Evans. Mitchell seemed to reestablish himself as tight end one on this football team with that performance on Saturday. Saying something considering Holden Stays had three touchdowns in two weeks between the Tennessee State and NC State games. But Mitchell led the team in targets with seven, led the team in catches with seven, led the team in spectacular catches one with that one-handed grab, led the team with 75 yards, and had a long catch of 25. And let me tell you, he also blocked the daylights out of Ohio State a couple of times, controlling the edge, allowing the Irish running back to get to the corner. Mitchell Evans, that was one heck of a performance. Number one. But number one goes to the dynamic cornerback duo of the Fighting Irish. My heavens, Benjamin Morrison, Cam Hart, Igbuka, Harrison Jr., as good as it gets, and you guys were up to the challenge. You should be proud of your efforts. I know it came in a losing effort. Those two guys were terrific. Morrison against Harrison was must-see TV at Notre Dame Stadium. That's the My 5 647 at WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 